Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. Hello and welcome to My Property World. I'm Will Mallard and I'm joined once again by Adam Lawrence. Adam is a prolific property investor in his own right, a founder of Partners in Property. Um, and we've got him on today to talk about HMOs and the possibilities that the uh, HMO repurposing, um, I, I, I suppose, strategy uh, can be applied and we'll go into a bit of detail with that but but firstly Adam you're very welcome. Thanks for having me again Will. So Adam um, in terms of just giving people a bit of context uh, over what time period have you been involved in HMOs and at what sort of scale roughly if you're, you're happy uh, talking numbers? So I got into HMO, uh, yeah, I got into HMO um, pretty early on in, in my property career, if you like. So stood nine, about nine years ago now, first time round. Um, and then I acquired and developed around about 20 HMOs uh, alongside a few single lets and then and then moved strategy more when we got to sort of around the sort of 2016 point, Will. Okay, and uh, one of the, the, the things that has stood out um, in, in, I suppose, uh, following your career from afar and, and indeed in talking to you, uh, is that you, you think a bit differently than a, a lot of people. And I think everyone thinks a little bit differently, but uh, you've got a unique take about thinking at the right level um, do you want to go into a bit of detail uh, what you mean uh, in this this context? Yeah, sure, sure thing. So um, I was I was seduced, I suppose is the right word, by HMO. So from from being seduced into HMO for the the high yielding side of it, or certainly the gross yielding numbers, um, I then found I was growing up in HMO around more and more people coming into the market, um, around standards for decor and things like that, which I have absolutely no flair for whatsoever. And, and to be honest, no interest in, um, but was just going up and up and up. And I was quite fearful of where that might lead, I suppose. So I was looking, I was then, uh, there were a lot of stories around. So we're going back, yeah, we're going back about six years or so now. A lot of stories around about the valuation office repurposing buildings room by room, 
or re-evaluating re buildings on a room-by-room -room basis. And it seemed that the business model was kind of destined to failure. And of course, because my first ones were a few years old by then, what I was also getting was that lag that you tend to get where first two or three years, you know, occupancy is really good, rents are really good, but then the place starts looking like it needs a refurb, you know, two or three years in. And you think, well, I mean, that's not happening in my, my single let. So I've, I've under budgeted for the maintenance side as well. So I'm always one to react on the reality of what's happening and then question myself on whether I, I've made mistakes um, on a, and, you know, definitely do, definitely do still make mistakes on a daily basis. So it started to look to me like it was less attractive to come into the market. I saw lots and lots and lots of other people coming into that market and thought, right, I think I might need to, to switch strategy here. I'm a bit overexposed to, to HMO, really. It's, there's a parallel with the hotel market where uh, someone will come up with a concept and uh, they'll open a new hotel and it will work really well, well for a little while. And uh, invariably what happens is someone else sees the success and builds another one around the corner. Uh, but it's mm. brand new. And in order to, um, I suppose, maintain your uh, occupancy levels or popularity, you're, you've either got to cut your prices or do another refurb and um, your, your ability to take profit suddenly you know, gets reduced substantially. And uh, I can see that 100% in, in certain markets. And um, what's your... Uh, and how did that feel? Because obviously it had been working quite well um, for a, a few years. Um, and you, you would have been, I imagine, relatively bullish. What, what, what was the, the moment where the penny dropped that there might be, um, there might be change uh, on the horizon? Yeah. That's a great question, Will, and a great analogy as well. I really, I really see that. I see the same analogy in new build flats versus new build houses, actually, where the new build houses are usually in an inferior position, but but might be decked out quite nicely, whereas the new build flats are in a very strong position, might be a bit smaller, but that's why it can be much more difficult, certainly in the provinces, to compete on, on flats. Um, and I suppose I was watching a lot of my metrics quite closely because I was already aware of these potential risks in the HMO market. And I was specifically looking quite a lot at occupancy. So I had, we had buildings that have been, you know, they've been low effort. They'd always been full. They've been really easy to fill. They had waiting lists. They had 98, 99 plus percent occupancy. You know, we had ones where the tenants would refer other people in because they were working at this place and obviously HMO accommodation, affordable HMO accommodation was was thin on the ground, I guess. And that just all it was, I remember it well, it was early 2016, which was a hell of a year if, uh, if the listeners remember that. Um, it started to evaporate a little bit and going from 99 to 95 to struggling to hit 90% occupancy, it was kind of like, right, well, I think something needs to be done here. And then it was just an evaluation of the options. You know, should we, exactly what you were talking about with the hotels, you know, should we go back in and do that refurb? Do we now want to compete at this new level? Um, or if we look at the net, 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 and I remember going to a, 
a meeting with the, the legendary Birmingham landlord, Mary Latham, was there. And Mary has obviously been a long way into to a, a property career. So she used to have lots of HMOs and she'd repurpose them all. And this is Birmingham where the HMO market is strong, you know, repurpose them all as single lets and net net. And in terms of time, in terms of effort, so taking everything into account, she was much better off with them as single lets rather than as bedsits or HMOs. So that really stuck in my mind. And that, that sort of gave me the, the, the kick up the you know where that I needed to just really get to those proper figures um, and make sure I was watching the, the right KPIs, really, I suppose, Will. And HMOs, I suppose property in general, uh, voids are what kill you. Um, you know, you, you either, um, you're either doing well or you, you're not doing well. And, and having uh, void periods uh, too often or, or too big a portion of your portfolio really uh, it changes the picture quite quickly. What, what sort of tenant type did you have and uh, what were these self-managed? Did you have agents? What, what was the, the context? Yeah, so generally blue collar, generally speaking, um, and generally in the early days self-managed. We started to move more towards sort of 2015, 2016 and started to structure the management and then that became um, an, an in-house agency, which it is, it is today. So uh, you, you, you're dead right about voids, and I'd also throw in there uh, about length of tenancies as well. So we were finding we could fill rooms by taking uh, sub-six-month tenants. So some people were coming into town, uh, to one of the towns we were operating in on a three-month contract, for example, like some, some nurses and doctors do sometimes, um, or completely different industries altogether where the skills aren't really in the UK anymore and they were coming in from the EU um, to fill those sort of those vacancies. Um, and the problem there is, you know, a three-month tenancy, unless you're charging a premium rent for it, um, by the time you've done the turnovers, by the time you've picked up any little snags, you've, you've paid to check them in, check them out, all the rest of it, there's really, really not a lot of money in it. It's better than keeping it empty, but only just. And your margins are being slight to sort of raise the thin levels really by going down that route. So we used to have nice long tenancies. We had some people stay five years and things like that. Um, that were, they were fabulous as they, as they always are in any, any sort of property context. And as it started to shorten and become more competitive and ease, re, it became really, really easy for the tenants to move around, which is great for the tenants. But of course, it's going to impact the margins of the providers, isn't it? Yeah, and you're, you're trying to uh, compete uh, where you need to provide more for, for less, basically, which is um, not a good space to, to be in. And in terms of um, what, what did you, what conclusions did you come to? Well, the, I, I probably jumped to a few conclusions, really, because the conclusion I really came to was I think we, we were making good paper money by buying really well and we weren't selling a lot of stuff um, we, we could have sold a lot of stuff and made some good money um, but instead we were looking to build for the long term and that's really what I was driving and I came to the conclusion that some of these that didn't really want repurposing because still in that market 
going back sort of five years, they were selling well. You know, they were selling well at auction. Usually if they were maybe nearly new or fully let or whatever, but they were selling at higher than bricks prices at auctions, uh, certainly in and around the East Midlands, where a lot of them were. Um, and so I thought, right, well, this seems fairly obvious that what needs to be done is they need to be sold off. You know, so a couple of them went on private sales to people who'd always said to me, look, I'm interested in buying this one if you ever want to sell it at, at reasonable prices. Um, and a fair few went through the auction because you don't find many retail sales agents who can really sell an HMO. There are a few out there these days, um, but certainly five years ago, I, I didn't ever come across anyone I was confident in selling HMOs. So yeah, auction was the general the general route that we we disposed of them through and crystallised some of the gains that we that we've made on the bricks prices and on the discount we bought them at, I suppose. Because that, that's one of the really interesting things, uh, just just thinking about the level of thinking that you've you've got. Like people often get stuck in a mode of um, uh, what they've got. Um, that, it's very difficult to see them um, themselves doing it a bit differently. And you're you're talking about a, a a change of use, a change of tenant category, a change of um, how you've refurbished the property, um, and and there's numerous other levers that that can be at play in terms of influencing this thinking. Um, how? Um, how do you see yourself in terms of following trends or not following trends? There's different theories on this, of course. Yeah, yeah, really good question. Because generally, I, I I put myself forwards as quite a contrarian thinker, um, definitely. Also, a bit of an early adopter, and and the the flip side of that, I think, is also maybe a little bit early to jump off the bandwagon sometimes. So, I I turn really quite bearish. Um, and I was also bearish because I saw people buying buildings for what their market value was and then plowing in 50, 60, 80, 100K into them to then come up with something at the end that wasn't worth the bricks value of what of the money they put into it. You know, So they'd maybe sacrificed 20, 30, 50K in order to get the cash flow of an HMO. Um, and that, that hadn't, hadn't been the way that we'd gone about building the portfolio. But I just thought this is this is the right time to get out. People are buying. It doesn't make sense to me why they're buying. Why are they doing what they're doing? Um, and I should have remembered that old famous John Maynard Keynes saying, you know, the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent because there were still good years for HMO ahead. And you mentioned about, you know, repurposing. Ultimately, what I didn't think of, even though I was working with um, a provider at the time, I didn't think, why don't I put them into use as social housing, for example. And so a social housing not, provider. Yeah, yeah. So why not, why crystallise the gains? You know, why, you know, it isn't easy to buy well. Um, the corporation tax bills and all the rest of it from crystallising gains once that money's gone, it's gone, largely speaking, unless you're going to, you know, reclaim it through pension contributions and stuff like that. So a lot of my layering of, of value and how I've sort of built the snowball that I've got has been about that compound interest effect, you know, the old eighth wonder of the world and stuff. And crystallising and, and paying tax on gains is not really 
a good part of that until you get to a sort of final exit, if if that is what you want to do, a final exit of sale rather than, you know, the other exit plan, which is inevitably uh, death while you own the shares of the company. Because that, that whole exit um, uh, planning and, and approach, uh, because quite often people don't think about that uh, in enough depth. I'd love to get you back on for another episode uh, to focus on that. But what would be the, the top three or four things that you would recommend to an existing HMO landlord and thinking about uh, what they should do over the next few years? What are so some good one, questions, as uh, my mother yeah. was fond of uh, saying? <laughs> I think one, one is definitely understand who you might be leasing the properties to if you want to move more to a, you know, would that be a, a private operator operating rent to rent? Would that be uh, a social housing provider who effectively tend to operate rent to rent strategies, although they often also, of course, own some of their own stock? So number one, understand who the, the alternative providers might be. Um, number two, obviously, you want to have your, your accountant look at, and it's, it's a lot of this is going to depend on how have you structured your portfolio. Is it in your personal name? Is it in a company name? Is it in an LLP? Is it anything like that? But look at the tax implications because you might want to think about, is there, for example, a change in capital gains potentially in the pipeline? You know, there's been a lot of chatter about that. Um, and nothing's happened yet, but let, let's see what happens. Um, do you want to work with someone to dispose of them? You know, have a disposal strategy. So is that led by time? Is it led by price that you're going to achieve? Which ones? You might have two. For a simple example, let's say you have one you bought for 100K and one you bought for 150K. And now today, both of them are worth 200K. And both of them get the same rent, right, to keep it easy. Now, it's going to be much more advantageous to you to sell the one you bought for 150K because you're going to have less tax to pay on the profits. So understand the big picture of what that disposal will mean. Understand that if you're trying to – because most people, that, like you said, well, they don't think about it. But also, it's hard in these situations because an exit is usually something people only do once. So they're not prepared. They don't know the rights and wrongs, the whys and wherefores. If you've got concentration in an area, which a lot of people have, it's probably not going to favour you to break that, to sell that portfolio all in one go, because you're going to give the buyer concentration risk, which will be something that's commented on by the lender, and the lender's going to want to lend less money on it, ultimately. A lot of people might not want 10 HMOs in that particular area or those three streets or however the, the concentration is mixed up. And you're making your own market. So you might be better off getting in that mindset of exit and saying and accepting, look, this is probably going to take two or three years. Let's sell off one or two. That's going to put a benchmark in for the pricing. Maybe it's worth investing five or 10K in a couple of them to do them up. This is This is thinking that, People, people get their mindset to this exit point and then they're out the door. And that's the danger. And that's how motivated sellers are created. And I always say to people, try and not they're, to be they're emotive. they're heading out the door without, uh, without the keys, without their phone, without their wallet. 
with it exactly and that can be you know it could make a difference of 50 percent of the money you're going to walk away with and for a lot of people the big payday is is the exit day unless you've got exceptional yields or very very well run operations so if you if that's the big day it deserves two or three years worth of planning doesn't it and and what about for traders uh looking at a purchase of an existing hmo uh, with a view to repurposing, what what would be uh, a, a quick little checklist that uh, they should consider? Well, I think I think they've got to look at. I mean, it's always good for a trader to look at hope value, isn't it, as your first port of call. So, does it look like there's an easy downstairs extension to be done? Does it look like there's an easy provider to put into place? Does it look like are they, are they aware of anybody in the area who's you know, drastically seeking HMOs. Rare as it is, there are some local authorities that have, have actively been encouraging HMOs. Um, but also, more likely, are they flipping a house that's not yet an HMO? Um, and can they, you know, draw out a few little sketch plans or even put in some speculative planning permission? Um, because that often guides the, if they're trading out through auction, you know, it often guides the mind towards what might be done with the property. And I think it's the traders always always know, or the good ones know, it's always best to do a little bit of the legwork to guide the thinking of your buyers into a certain direction, really, rather than expecting them to work it all out for themselves. Now, Adam, very conscious of uh, your valuable time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And as I said, I'd love to get you on. Um, there's any number of topics, I think, that we could explore in another episode. but. Uh, Thanks. In terms of um, what, what, what's your LinkedIn profile uh, if someone was wanting to look you up and, and uh, get in touch? Yeah, so if you go to LinkedIn and you search for Adam G. Lawrence, uh, you'll find me on there in a photo that may or may not be recent or a fair reflection of uh, just how kindly uh, any lockdowns have treated me, Will. And what, what's the G for, Adam? It stands for Graham. Adam Graham Lawrence. Mm -hmm. Very welcome. I'm Will Mallard. This is my property, Will. Adam Lawrence, thanks. Thanks again, Will. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.